Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. Welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara. I am a solo today from a co-host point of view, but we are happy to be joined by Julie Shields Rutina from MIFA. Hello, Julie. How are you? Hi, Justin. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. You are regular. I was thinking before this, I should we should just start calling you JSR because you're you're a regular on the program here. And thank you so much for coming back again. Again, again, Julie is with MIFA, so that's the Massachusetts Education Finance Authority, I believe. Why don't you just why don't you give a quick bio, just you know who you are and what you do? And I do you know before we get started, we are going to be talking mostly about financial aid letters. I know you've been on the you've been on the show in the past. We've covered a lot about just sort of college in general, college savings and the, and the whole process up through even paying off college when you have your loans. So all the way to the end, which hopefully isn't too deep into your life. But so we're going to we're going to focus mostly on financial aid letters and financial aid awards today. I think probably toward the end of the show, we'll go back into so we're going to go back into some of the savings stuff if we have time. But I think the last time we were around, we focused more on the savings aspect of it. So the early years, but now this time around, we're going to be talking about, we're right at that time of year, I think where kids are making decisions. And so it's a, it's pretty timely topic here for us to go through and, and hopefully educate some folks out there. Yeah. But anyways, that's my intro here. Let's, uh, let's have you just give a brief introduction of yourself and who MIFA is maybe for those who aren't familiar. Oh, that's great. That's good. So for, actually, first I'll tell you about MIFA and then I'll give a little of my background too. MIFA is a state authority and we were created in 1982 with the mission of helping families plan, save, and pay for college. And a few of the things we do is we have the state's college savings plans, the U plan and the U fund, a 529 plan. We also have a savings plan for people with disabilities called Attainable. And then we have low-cost loans for families who need that type of financing for college. Everything else we do is all about free guidance for families at whatever stage they are in. And in fact, that's what my team focuses on, education and training and being in the community, helping families and students access college and be able to finance it. So that's MIFA. And my background, I feel like MIFA is, I've been at MIFA almost 20 years, and it just takes all of my background and allows me to use it with all of those different audiences of families, school counselors, college administrators. I, for over 30 years, have been working in higher education financing. I was a director of financial aid. I worked for some loan companies. I worked for the college board all before coming to MIFA. So anyway, it's it's a good fit. And MIFA just loves to be able to help families through this process. Wonderful. All right. Okay. So let me think we should start just before we get to the financial aid award letter. I think we should back up just a bit to a little to the timeline as someone who's not 
here yet. My oldest is 12. And I do a lot of college planning from from <laughs> from way, way earlier. But I, I do I'm not always super involved with clients when it comes to the actual process. And sometimes I'm a little I'm a little surprised, maybe. And maybe that's not the right word, but it, it just gets me every once in a while. It's oh, this is a long process. I do know that very much early in senior year when kids are really focused on the college application process. And this kind of hit me the other day when I reached out to a client. We had some a financial discussion around college and they had a kiddo who's going to be deciding on their school and I think I reached out in maybe late February and I said oh hey is it is are we ready to have that discussion yet and they weren't this is this, this can go from you know what September October and it may not be wrapped up until April or May is that sort of accurate is, is it a good time that is accurate for yeah. sure it feel like the college process really ramps up maybe junior year just as far yep. as people thinking about it But I will say this, because I have the same experience when I talk to families with younger students and just want to mention it. It's scary and overwhelming and people want to put it off. But I guess what I will just say is that any thoughts that parents and students can do to talk about it in a really fun, loose way earlier, as far as just maybe visiting a college campus for a sporting event or a just getting that in a fun way on the minds to have some good conversations, to keep an open mind about possibilities and what the future might look like. Any way people can do it in a more loose way earlier, I think makes it easier because the conversation can evolve and not feel like it hits them like a truck senior year, which tends to happen a lot. So I just wanted to put that little plug in for um, not being afraid to just entertain the conversations a little bit earlier. Okay, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah, and just as far, when we get to, we're going to be talking about financial aid award letters, and we're going to spend some time going. You sent, you were kind enough to send me over a few examples, obviously. These look like there's a lot of redactions on here. I don't think, I, I feel like I'm in the government with my redacted paperwork here, Julie, so I want to, <laughs> I feel very special. But, so you were kind enough to send me real financial aid award letters from real students. And I think these are actually for this year too. Yeah, 2022, 2023. We're going to go through those, but just to start off and as we go into the process, let's talk a bit about how many of these are students looking through, right? So I know, and let's talk a bit about how many call, how many colleges is the average student maybe applying to. And again, I know that averages don't always mean, don't, mean that your experience will be the same but for people who are dealing with this as if there's and sophomores how many colleges do does the average student apply to and then are we looking at financial aid offers for all of these colleges or is there a narrowing down process so why don't we just maybe a bit on on that piece yeah I think average is somewhere around six yeah. or seven colleges okay. However, the whole college process has become very competitive due to a number of factors. And for that reason, some students are applying to more, some 10, 10 colleges. I guess the goal is to have a student senior year around this time, senior year of high school, be able to receive a number of admissions offers. The financial aid offer should match. So if you apply to 10 colleges, Hopefully you receive 10 financial aid offers as well, yep. but that you receive a number of financial aid offers and admissions offers so that the student has a choice. And at this time, the student could be sitting, maybe they've narrowed it down to three or four and has a choice to make sure that they're making a decision on a college 
based on a number of factors and can feel good about it. Okay. Sometimes we see a student might just have their heart set on one college and hopefully they get in. If they don't get in, that's a disappointment. But then if they do get in and the money isn't really enough and it's going to be a strain on a, the parent and the student, then that's a frustration and it puts the family in a position of maybe making a decision that isn't financially good for the family because yeah. the parents there's a lot of emotion in this where the parents feel like my student worked hard I want to I want to do this for them and the student feels I worked hard so that's why I encourage students and parents to keep an open mind applied to a number of colleges I feel like there's less risk that they'll have to make a decision that isn't financially good for for them. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. If you apply to two colleges and one's expensive and, and the other one isn't your favorite, it, it, yeah, that's a, I guess a more difficult decision to have to make. Yeah. Okay. Can you just back up for a second? Are, is an, is a, an admission offer and a financial aid offer the same, or are we going through a multiple step process here to where you get your letter that says you've been accepted and then you have to move back in and say, okay, is there like a, is there a next phase where you say, yeah, can you send me my offer or is that just all in the same or they just come at different times? How about a little more detail there? Such a good question and one that families really do need to hear. So it's two separate processes, but they happen at the same time and not exactly at the same time, but in the same time frame. So for example, admissions has deadlines And so students will apply for admission to the different colleges and they'll meet those deadlines. And then they should be applying for financial aid around the same time, although the financial aid deadlines might be a few weeks off or a month off or something like that. Okay. But they should- So this is two separate processes. So you have to apply, okay. So you apply for admission, also apply for financial aid. Financial aid, exactly. And then what happens is sometimes in an ideal situation, you could receive an admissions offer and the financial aid offer right there together. Okay. Usually they're a little bit off where the admissions office is a tiny bit ahead. You receive that, you get an offer, and a few weeks later, you receive the financial aid offer. But most all colleges know that parents and students really need that financial aid offer to be able to make a decision. Okay. Is there a, no, and again, I know I'm going to be careful and I know I don't want to ask you to generalize too much. Is there, do you recommend that everyone applies for financial aid regardless of whether or not they need it? Obviously most folks I know need some help paying for college and normally you're going to have some, most children have some loans coming out of college. There obviously are some fortunate parents out there who are able to pay for all of their kids' college, whether they whether or not they saved in 529s or maybe their cash flow is, is such that they can just afford to pay for it out of pocket. Does essentially everyone apply for financial aid or is there a subset of, is there a downside to it? Or if, hey, if I don't apply for my financial aid, maybe they're more likely to accept my child. Is that, can we just get a bit into that before we get into the actual offers? Absolutely. Yeah, it's competitive so out there. It is, it is. So, so in general, we recommend that every if you we recommend if you need financial aid yeah that you apply for it okay. because people are sometimes surprised but most students received some type of financial aid now that could be in a grant or scholarship 
which is the best and you don't pay back. But it could also be in a work study program or a student loan, which is in the student's name, which is a better loan than, than any other loan. So we really recommend that if you need money, absolutely apply because yep. you want to set yourself up to receive any help you can. However, there are some families that may not and may just say we can afford it and we want to let the college know that we can fully afford it. Yeah. So if a family, one way to determine that is there's something out there. It's on the MIFA website and other places called an EFC calculator, okay. which is expected family contribution calculator is soon to be renamed to SAI calculator, student aid index calculator, but similar. It's the same. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Just changing their one confusing they, acronym to another one. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so what that does is a family would put in financial information into this calculator and receive a number. And let's say the number they receive back is something like $90,000. That would tell the family that, wow, that means if your EFC is $90,000, that means that the expectation is you could pay about that amount per year for your student. Yeah. And if the maximum college cost where your student is applying is 70000 still a ton of money. Yeah. If your EFC is ninety, then you have a sense that there's probably not going to be a lot of money based on need that you might receive. And therefore you might be able to make that decision and not go through that financial aid process. And I'll add one more thing. There is still a lot of merit-based financial aid out there. So a lot of colleges award financial aid based on financial need and based on merit mixed. So that doesn't mean that the student will receive no financial aid because they may be able to receive it based on merit, which means that they are high in the admissions pool. Okay. All right. Terrific. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I do want to make sure that we, when I have, right, as I mentioned all the time on the radio, we self-selecting audience. So the people that I'm interacting with tend to have money to invest, or that's just because of the way our business is set up. So when I talk about aid with families, I do tell them that most that the majority of aid does come in the form of loans. Now, you know whether or not they're subsidized or unsubsidized. I just want to be clear on, and I know we've had this discussion a ton of times. Some aid needs to be paid back, right? The word aid does sound like it sounds great. It sounds free, um, but I do just want to make sure that folks know that because we see people jumping through hoops, and there are obviously strategies to make you there. There are financial strategies to increase your financial aid. Maybe we'll get to those later on in the show. Depend. We'll see this time around but i just briefly if you could scope out aid and how much of it is usually loans and again i know that this number probably changes every year so it's we don't need the exact percentage of what's loans versus work study versus grants and scholarships but just briefly on that just so we make sure that everyone's on the same page with what aid means yeah so aid you're right can mean grants and scholarships again the best time yeah that's free money free money that's that's what i think that's what's in everyone's head exactly (laughs) and then work study i will say Work study is a great option because students can get a job on campus and get paid. And what that does is it allows them usually to pay for all of those incidental living expenses, shampoo, pizza, transportation, all of that. And someone said to me recently, a parent said, I look at that as the money that I'm not sending them. And that's important. So it's a good it is a good program. And other than that, just on the non-financial side of it. 
many times students can get what I'll call an easy job where they're sitting at the library desk or the athletic center desk with a clicker, checking numbers, checking people in, having them sign in and getting their homework done. Yep. I mean, same boys into the girls dorm. I think that I don't know if they still do that, but that's what, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's hey, that's a great job if you can be paid and <laughs> yeah. get some work done. Or the other side of it is having worked in a financial aid office. We always had work study students who were able to have a job where they were busy and they didn't get their homework done. But I've seen for many of those students, and I see this in the in my higher education world. A lot of those students then went on to higher education careers in colleges. And so you can get a job or some students who work in a lab. That's great experience for future careers. So students can actually get a good start that way as well. So anyway, work study, great program. And then but then there are these loans, which are the federal student loans. And the reason they're unique is that they're in the student's name, no credit check, low fixed interest rates and a variety of repayment provisions. So if the student gets out and goes to grad school or gets out and doesn't have a huge salary, they're able to choose repayment plans that will work for them. So that's different than most other loans. So those that actually is a good type of aid as well. Okay. Yes, that's confusing. Yeah. Every time I hear that, I'm, I go back in my head to a a, I went to a conference and they were explaining all the repayment options on federal student loans. And it was, I, mean, I think there's, I know they're working on simplifying it, but it was overwhelming. I believe we had, there were 10 at one time. Maybe there's still all the time. Yes. Maybe we know, who knows? Maybe it's up to 12 by now. But yes, that's, that's complicated. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably get into some more of that after the break as well. If we work on our student aid letters, if we have some time, I know there's obviously there's a lot that goes into your job and you're a wealth of information. All right. So we are going to, we're almost up here on a break. So my name is Justin McNamara from McNamara Financial Services, talking today with Julie Shields Routina of MIFA. And we're going to spend most of our time on financial award letters because it is the time of year. When, when college seniors are choosing their schools and you have to make these decisions and it's, it's pretty time sensitive here. We're going to wrap it up right now. We'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, and we are talking college saving and mostly financial aid award letters today with Julie Shields, Routina of MIFA. Do you always work weekends, Julie, or is this just special for us? Just special for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so again, I, I should. I, we did a little intro at the beginning. MIFA does have a very nice website, and I know we're going later in the show. We're all gonna. They, there's a bunch of FAQs, and we're gonna go through some of those questions here live on the show. But it is MIFA.org, if I believe I have that right. So if anyone would like some more information, it's a. It is a nice website, and I do recommend that you go there if you're looking for some more info on MIFA and college stuff more generally. Okay, so yeah, just. Obviously, we were finishing up on financial aid. I do one of the things that I am I run into in my practice very often is the discussion about any, anytime there's free money involved. I get a lot of questions about it. 
And so I have the discussion about what is financial aid fairly often. I think generally speaking, financial aid, most of it is loans. Again, I know there's there are grants and scholarships and work study, but is it am I safe to say that the majority of financial aid, as far as the dollars concerned, do come in the form of loans that therefore must be paid back? Is that an accurate statement? It's funny. It's a little more nuanced than that, but I understand one of the reasons you're saying that is exactly what you just described, that your clients are have saved and have money to invest and so are on the higher end of the spectrum when it comes to finances. So that's an important piece because I guess what I'd say is a lot of the financial aid that's awarded is need-based And so I'm going to guess from what you've said that your clients may be less eligible for that need-based financial aid. And therefore, they may see award offers that contain this loan and the work study. However, so in other words, for I just feel like I need to say this. People who have less in the way of um, finances can be eligible for huge amounts of need-based financial aid. But on the other hand, there is merit aid out there. And other than the Ivy League schools and the, I say the colleges that compete with the Ivy League schools, the the small Ivies, the MIT, all of those, they all distribute just need-based aid. So again, you might find your clients at those colleges not receiving any of that need-based aid. But other than that fairly small group of colleges, 50 or 60 nationwide, most other colleges have merit-based aid. And that's because every year they want to bring in the best class possible. Yeah. And they end up using their merit-based aid to do that. And so what does we think of merit-based aid usually as a couple of things as a sports scholarship, which it is, or the person is the valedictorian of the class. But Merit aid now is a lot broader than that. So any okay. any student who um, falls high in the admissions pool, so who when that college is thinking about who they want to bring in, that student, academics especially, but all the other things that make them a good candidate for admission at that school, if they fall in that, it can be top quarter, top half of that admissions pool. Many times there is a merit-based award that goes with it. So even though it's based on different things, it's still good. It's free money and merit-based yeah. <laughs> award. So I think probably your clients will see some of see some merit-based aid in these awards, which just makes it so that it may not, it, usually you know, these merit-based awards do not cover everything, but sometimes they can put a big dent and they can bring the cost of a private school education down closer to a public or this merit money is used in all kinds of different ways. So, so it's just, it is hard to make, to say mostly loans and some colleges it could be mostly loans, but for some students and some colleges, it it could be a mix. It could be. I think, yeah, just for context, most of that discussion that I have is generally around moving assets around to increase your qualifications for financial aid. Obviously, if you look at the EFC, the expected family contribution, which I, which you're going to, which is renamed to what again? SAI? Is that what it's going to? Student aid index. The soon to be student aid index, you, you input all of your, your income and your asset information and that can be manipulated, right? Because again, maybe we'll get into it later in the show, but some pools of money are expected to be used for college, whereas other pools of money are not. So you you do have the ability to some, I guess some families have the ability to move assets around to increase their financial aid eligibility. 
And it's there are pros and cons to everything, and there are drawbacks, right? It's if you have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank, that's maybe bad for your financial aid award package, but it's also maybe good for actually paying the college bill, right? So we're, I'm having that pro. What's the discussion, and what are you really trying to get at here? Is it worth tying up all that money if it means you're going to qualify for some extra some extra loans that you need to pay back anyway? So that's like the context of my discussion, generally speaking. But yeah, you're right. I, you should. Obviously, financial aid is going to be very different depending on where you sit at the uh, in the income spectrum. Okay, but you're so correct. I'll, I will just add, you're so correct because merit-based money is not based on finances. Exactly, it's really based on the students. So you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I think you know now that we. Why don't we start going through? I know you were kind enough to send me some financial aid award letters. Should we just go through one or two of these? And uh, as we as we go, just talk about each and every line item. Maybe not every line item here because they are barely long. But does that sound like an okay idea to you? Yes. Yes, that sounds good. Okay. Which one do you want to start with? Number, let's see. This one I'll yeah. point out first is yeah. that I guess an ideal award offer would have the full cost right on it because that's important but i will say that many have it and many don't and so if the full costs aren't listed directly right out there on the award offer it's just an important task for the family to go look at the website contact the financial aid office whatever to make sure they really understand what the cost of attendance will be for the student for the year because what what families will receive are these award offers that may look like we're you're awarded thirty thousand dollars which yeah. sounds fabulous but yeah. oh, an, a merit award of thirty thousand dollars but if the cost is 80 you have to yeah. weigh that and so you just want to make sure first that you understand tuition fees room and board what other incidentals are there lab fees is that yes so make sure the costs for every institution okay yeah, oh, that's, it seems like that would be, uh, my assumption would be that would be on the award letter, but I guess you're saying that there are some that could, that don't come with. In fact, yes, and here's the other, I'll just, oh, more overarching point than that, and that's why we end up talking about this so much at this time of year. These award offers all look different, yeah. and so that's what's so confusing to parents because it, it looks different from every college, so it's this process of making sure you're comparing apples to apples and looking at all of these, yeah. Okay. All right. Terrific. All right. Yeah. I don't know. I have two of these and you know what, because they're all blanked out. I have, I don't have much in the way to identify them, but do you have these in front of you? I don't, no. but I, okay. I remember them all in your head. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll just pick one. And it looks like these are generally year by year, right? I know you, you pay for college usually a semester at a time, I would think, but so you're redoing this every year. Is that an accurate statement, right? I see this one. I have the fall of 2022 and then the spring of 2023 and we add it all up. That does. So um, when we get to 2023, 2024, we have a different deal. Exactly. Okay. And that's what, well, that's such an important point, Justin, is that every, you apply for financial aid every year okay. and hopefully and this is an important point. When you receive that first award offer and you're trying to make that decision, hopefully it describes this, but if it doesn't, this is another question to ask. Yeah. You should be able to pretty much count on the same thing for the next four years. When you're when your student is committing to a college, you yeah. don't want to think, yes, this is great, and we'll see what deal we get next year. You want to know right. this is basically what we can rely on. So if that's not made clear, talk with the financial aid office. And one question you might want to ask, if it is a merit-based award, that is there anything my student needs to do to keep that? 
Right. Many times it could be tied to a grade point average. They might say, and it should say it on the award offer, but that in order to keep this Dean's Award, for example, you need to have keep a 3.0 GPA. Very common. So that's it's just important to know what's behind all of that. If it's a financial aid need based grant, then the answer you want to hear is as long as your situation stays the same, you should expect a similar financial aid offer for the next four years. Yeah. Yeah. As I look through this, right, in the case of one of the one of the award letters you sent over has the Dean's Award and it's fifteen thousand dollars per semester. And you're obviously in a very different situation if next year the Dean decides not to award you that money. Okay. Good to know. All right. So again, I'm just going to go through. So it looks like the first the first page in this case is a summary. Right. They do have in this case, we have the Dean's Award. It's fifteen thousand dollars per semester. And then we have let's see, we have two, three types of, of loans. We have a federal direct subsidized Stafford loan. We have a federal direct unsubsidized Stafford loan. And then we have a federal direct parent loan. So maybe we can just go through each one of those. And uh, just, I think I, I essentially know what these are, but let's explain them to the listeners. So federal direct subsidized Stafford loan. Yes. So federal direct subsidized Stafford loan is the loan that I described that is in the student's name and no credit check, the student, no co-signer, the student borrows this on their own and doesn't have to be paid while the student is in college. The key here, no interest is accruing on this subsidized portion. And then at the end, they will, six months after graduation, they'll start repaying, but they have a choice of repayment plans. And while you were so correct in saying that the repayment, there's so many choices and it can be confusing to simplify it in your own head, which most students can. There are there's a standard repayment, a couple of other options, and then there are options that are tied to your income. And so choosing one of those that's tied to your income and allows them to make sure they have a manageable payment on the other side. So that's, those are the benefits of that really is the best part of the loan. And then there's the unsubsidized student loan, which is everything is the same about it. Everything I just said is the same, except for one thing, which is important. Interest does begin to accrue immediately on this one. Now the student doesn't need to pay that until six months after graduation. But just to be aware that interest is accruing so that when they do go to repay six months after graduation, that loan has grown a little because it's accrued interest for the four years. Yeah, so that's, yeah depending on what, and I know that interest rates, right? The interest rate that you get is dependent on where you are, right? In the interest, the interest rate cycle that we all go through. There are some folks who would take out a loan, and probably, and I, I don't follow rates on on student loans very closely. But I, my assumption is that kids who took out loans a few years ago probably had lower rates than kids who are taking out loans now. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. So it's set every year, usually early summer. Yeah. But once you take that loan, so exactly, you are accurate. Oh, once you take that loan is fixed interest is fixed for the life of the loan but you're right because all loans follow that cycle that the interest rate today is a little higher than it was a couple of years ago and you know the two types of stafford loans that we have here 
are these the only types of, and again, so there are limits, there are annual limits on how much, right? So I believe it's a year by year limit and there's like, but it changes depending on your year in high school. And I see this one is a total of 5,500. So let's just briefly on that, because I know, I think, I think the Stafford loan discussion, which I think is also the subject of the federal student loan forgiveness program. So we're going to get into that. It makes, it makes all the news, right? Because when they change the payment, the income-based repayment are all of that is all at student at federal Stafford loans or other types of federal yes. loans, correct? Correct. All of that discussion is all about federal student loans. And I would say that if a student is thinking about borrowing for college, this definitely is the best because it's just in their name. No one else is obligated. Yeah. And they have these choices of repayment as well as some choices for deferment and what's happened with the federal loans recently. Yeah. So those two are the best, I would say. And um, but the tricky piece is there are limits. And you just said it. Fifty five hundred freshman year, sixty five hundred sophomore year and then seventy five hundred junior and senior year. But I'd okay. say that's good and bad because the good part about that is there are limits. Right. So students can't just borrow wildly with this loan program. They are limited and most of them graduate with about if you take every last bit of that for four years, you graduate with about 27000 Okay. And on a standard repayment, one that's not tied to income, just the standard, that would be about a $300 payment at the end of that. Okay. But if a student had lower income and they needed their payment to be lower, that's when they could choose an income-based repayment. Well, oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that's good. That's good. (laughs) I was just going to ask, has this been the case? We hear the horror stories of people coming out of school with $100,000 or $150,000 in student loans. And has it always been the case that the federal loan program was a very kind of small, and we haven't got into the federal direct parent loans yet, but we'll get to We'll get to that in a minute. Has it always been the case that the federal loan program was fairly limited? And is it, it... so if someone comes out of school with $100,000 in, $100, in student loans, I, a minority of them must be those federal loans, at least now. And was that always the case? And maybe we'll, obviously, we're going to get into where the rest of the money comes from if you can't pay it in cash, too. Yeah, that is the case. It has always had those limits. Yeah. But what happens is graduate school has higher limits. Oh, I much okay. higher limits. Yeah. So that if someone is going to a graduate program that really is mostly loans, that has that's why a lot of students have those really high balances. Okay. Um, and those and are also, also okay. I think sometimes when students are talking about their high balances, they are talking about other types of loans as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah, the, so the federal student loan forgiveness program that has been discussed and is now, I think, what, in the Supreme Court, I don't know exactly where yes. it is now. It's, this, we've, it's been an ongoing saga here in our lives. Yeah, that's only applying to these types of loans that we are talking about, I believe. Is only, the loan. only the federal loan. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So we did. Yeah. So subsidized. And just, I did notice, and I didn't know that this would be the case. So in this particular student that we're talking about, some of about what is it? I don't know if it's two thirds ish of their loan is subsidized, right? So not accruing interest during college, which depending on the interest rates you get, can be a, can, if you're in a higher interest rate environment, that can be a, and especially a major benefit for the for that freshman year loan, right? Because you're talking about four years of accrual that isn't being added to your loan. 
But is it common to get partially subsidized and partially not? I was expecting it to be either or, but I guess it's um, wrong on that one. It is very common to receive both. And that's because the subsidized portion is based on the student's need. Okay. And so that those financial aid forms are factored in there and their need is factored in. And so they can receive some subsidized and then if they have that need. But yeah. if they don't have that need, they can still receive this loan, but it would oh, all be unsubsidized. Okay. Okay. So it's not, okay. So this is not, I got you. So the aid piece of this would be the subsidized part of the student loan, whereas if this particular family was was well off and didn't need any aid, this award letter would say $5,500 for a federal direct unsubsidized Stafford loan. Yes. That's right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know that we want to get into the, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do repayment options later in the show if we have time. I know we can't go, we can't go through it all in detail because it would take probably more than our two hours that we have here. So let's move on. Federal direct parent loans. I see that's a, in the case of this award letter, which I didn't summarize, maybe I should have at the beginning, the the total, the total aid package here was $69,000 for the year, right? We're, we got $30,000 in the Dean award. And then we have $5,500 from the federal Stafford loans. And then we have a federal direct parent loan that's $16,000-ish per semester or 32 per year. So why don't we talk a little bit about that one? Because that's a and that's one that clearly has some higher limits. So this is one of my favorite topics. Yeah. <laughs> because in my opinion, that loan should not be on the award offer. Okay. Okay, because I think that isn't financial aid. Okay. There are some unique there's some uniqueness and benefit in that federal student loan. The federal plus loan, which is an option of how a family would families need financing for some of these expensive college costs. And that's one option of how a family might choose to pay yeah. the balance. But I think that colleges should not put that as part of the award offer. That okay. should be a separate piece of paper saying if you're looking for yeah, a financing uh, option. Yeah. Yes. Here's what. Yes. So most colleges have taken that off, but we still see it. And okay. so we still <laughs> talk about it. So yeah. basically, I think when parents are comparing award offer to award offer, they should take that out, put it to the side, knowing, yeah. OK, here's one option so that they can really look at the costs, look at the real financial aid that's been offered, see what the balance is, what they're gonna owe, how much they're gonna have to pay, and then they can decide how do I want to pay that? And that the choices for them would be using their savings, joining a monthly payment plan at the college, or borrowing. And if I borrow, would I borrow this Federal Parent PLUS loan or would I? do I have some other financing options that might be right. better? I'm going to look into those. So that's how I think that should go, ideally. So I think it's a little misleading, Yeah. but we see it. We still see it from some institutions. Okay. And just, just a bit on the Parent PLUS loan, I think probably a lot of folks will have heard of it. How about a little bit of information on, so it sounds like it's the, it's this in the parent's name exclusively. Does our student appear anywhere in the paperwork or is it, are they just, they're just the recipient of the money? No, that's great. It's in the parent's name and only okay. the parent's name. Okay. Yep. So that's an important point. And it's through the federal government. 
Here's one other piece. There is a credit check. It's not a stringent credit check, but there is a credit check. So that's the other reason it really shouldn't be on the award because it's not guaranteed that they can get it. So there is a credit check. It's through the federal government and it has a fixed interest rate. But that interest rate, to be honest, it can be a good interest rate, but sometimes it's not as good as some of the other financing options out there. And that's why while it should be considered when a parent is thinking about how they're going to finance, they should look at all the options out there to make sure that they're going to take a loan that's best for them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I, I understand your point about it not really seeming like aid because it doesn't seem there's no, doesn't appear like there's a federal subsidy anywhere here. And it's just the you know, government making money available to parents. Again, I assume that we're not, I don't mean to badmouth it, but I'm sure there are parents out there for whom it's the best option, right? You know, mm-hmm. have other folks who maybe they're, they're more credit worthy or they have collateral on which to borrow something else. So you may be, you may be getting a better interest rate. And so it's just an option as opposed to a gift. Yeah. So that's good to know. Yeah. The kids will like that one. If it's the parents, if it's the parents borrowing the money. All right. What else do we want to cover here? The, this aid letter does have a cost of attendance on it. And I believe it's fairly, it looks like it's, it's pretty comprehensive, right? So we have tuition and fees, right? There's a comprehensive fee. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't, it just sounds like an extra fee. Room and board, books and supplies, transportation, and miscellaneous. So it looks like, at least in the case of this college, they're there. I assume transportation is probably incorporates the student's location. I don't know about that, but it looks like they're trying to give the student a pretty good idea of, hey, this is what it's going to cost to go to this school. Does that sound about accurate to you? It does. And so that's great. I love when every cost is right there up front. So that's perfect. Okay. I will mention, I guess this is a good time to mention it. I'm su- surprised it's not there, but many times you'll see a health insurance fee because legally colleges need to make sure students have health insurance. Yeah. But most of the time, students are still under their parents' health insurance. Okay. And so that's just one cost to be sure that you watch out for and that you get the health insurance waiver form from the college and waive that. So that's just a task that we talk about a lot because it's just very common that the college puts that out there in the costs and you want to waive that if the student has other insurance. All right. Sounds great. That's a perfect time. We are up against a break here, so we are going to wrap it up for now. My name is Justin McNamara. You're listening to McNamara on Money, and we will be right back. (laughs) 